Well, good morning again. If you missed the opening, we are at Brooke and Eric Jamison's house today. They host a small church here in Shoreview. This week, we're starting a brand new series on the book of Exodus, and we thought it'd be fitting to move around a little bit for the next couple weeks. Boy, I tell you, Exodus is an epic book. This is the book of the Bible where we find, listen to this, a powerful Pharaoh who enslaves God's people for hundreds of years. It's where we find his decree to cast the baby boys into the Nile. It's the book where we're introduced to Moses and we have that encounter that he has with the burning bush. It's where God confronts Pharaoh with all those signs and wonders that leave Egypt devastated and liberate his people. It's the origin story for the Passover. It's where we find God's people following that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It's where we find all God's people crossing the Red Sea on dry land and Pharaoh's chariots being covered by its waters. It's where we find God providing manna in the wilderness. It's where we find the Ten Commandments given. It's where we find the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle making their first appearance. Exodus contains all this and more. Exodus is epic. And there's a place to write this down in your notes. Exodus is more than an epic story. This book has provided inspiration and hope for people for thousands of years. In Exodus, we find a God who acts in history. We find a God who sees the oppressed. We find a God who raises up leaders who are going to confront injustice. And a God who calls upon people that he saves to live differently. In Exodus, we find a God who hears us when we cry out, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's more here than just material for big budget movies and Sunday school stories. This is a text that has inspired so many people in the darkest hours of human history. This is a book that feels so familiar to so many of us, and that can be a little bit dangerous because we've heard so many of these stories. Oftentimes, we don't stop and really think, have we really listened to them? Have we really studied them? Have we really reflected deeply on them? How well do we really know the book of Exodus? When was the last time that we personally read this book from start to finish? When was the last time we let its powerful messages and lessons really sink into our soul. If you were confronted and you were asked, what's the evidence that these things actually happened? What would you have to say? And if these things really did happen, have you ever thought deeply about the implications for your life? We put this series on the calendar, get this, about nine months ago. <laughs> I believe the Holy Spirit was involved in that decision. He knew then what we're experiencing right now. In Exodus, we find a people crying out to God, confronting injustice, entering into a, a season in the wilderness. We find people who want to go back to a life that wasn't as good as they thought it was. We, we find people wrestling with what does it mean to really be a, a blessing in this world. We, we find all of that and so much more. I can't think of a book that's better suited for this time that we're in right now. There is so much. There is so much more to Exodus than we can cover in 25 second segments, minute segments over the next 10 weeks. And we would love, we would love for everybody 
to come away from this series with a richer understanding of what is in this book. And so, in this week's download, you're going to find a list of four recommended resources. BibleProject.com, ESV Study Bible, NLT Study Bible, and the IVP Old Testament Bible Background Commentary. We recommend those all the times when we do expository teaching, which is this kind of teaching, where we just, we're just going to go start in chapter 1 and work our way through. The Bible Project's got two animated short videos that will give you a great overview as a book of of the book as a whole, and then those other resources help you to dig a little bit deeper into the text. All right, so there's some resources that hopefully will be helpful for you. Now, before we open to Exodus 1, let's put the book itself into context. If you're taking notes, there's a place to write this down. Exodus builds on covenant promises established in Genesis. Exodus is part two of a five-part work. If you want to understand Exodus, you want to think of it as a season within a bigger series. Genesis is season one, Exodus season two, Leviticus season three, um, Numbers part four, and Deuteronomy part five. All right, how closely are Genesis and Exodus related to one another? (laughs) Get this, in the original Hebrew, Exodus begins with the Hebrew equivalent of the word and. That's the first word in Exodus. So it's Genesis gets done and it starts with and, boom, 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 boom. It's a continuation of the story. And Exodus carries forward many of those big themes from Genesis, especially when it comes to God remaining faithful to his covenant promises. Let's quickly look at a few passages from Genesis and you're going to be able to see this for yourself. This is from Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish and the sea and the birds and the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed Adam and Eve. And what did he tell them? He said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Remember those words. Well, generations passed. When we get to chapter 12, God calls a man named Abram to follow him in faith. This is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'm going to show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. All right, that was chapter 12 and chapter 15. There was this night when God told Abram, come outside. And he said, look at those stars, number them if you can. And then he said this, he said, so shall your offspring be. But then in that same chapter, just a little ways later, he added these ominous overtones. This is from chapter 15, verses 13 through 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they'll come out with great possessions. All right. So all, by the time we get to Exodus 1, what God had promised is starting to come to pass. God changed Abram's name to Abraham and his descendants settled in Egypt. And one of them, whose name was Joseph, as God prophesied, was going to be a huge, actually he was, a huge blessing to families. He saved countless numbers of people during a famine in Egypt. 
His leadership under the Pharaoh in Egypt saved countless lives, countless people from starvation during a seven-year famine. All right, Exodus picks up where Genesis leaves off. If you have your Bible with you then, turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. We're just going to keep this camera rolling. We're going to see what happens with wind and pages turning like that. And uh, Emma, I bet you're having fun right now because she makes fun of me for all my hand motions. And I'm like holding down papers and all this stuff. So you get to make fun of me now for that. It is teenage daughters are blessings in so many ways. All right, here we go. Uh, then, jo- oh, we're looking at Exodus chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, <laughs> and all his brothers, and all that generation. But look at these words. See if any of these sound familiar. But the people of Israel were fruitful. They increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. All right. Do any of those words sound familiar? Like perhaps the ones that we put in all caps and in bright colors. Boy, these verses were clearly intended to echo Genesis 1 and Genesis 12. All right, but what about that part in Genesis 15, the part where the descendants of Abraham are going to be afflicted for 400 years? Let's keep reading. This is from Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. It says this, Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, The people of Israel are too many, too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, he set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. All right, so this new Pharaoh comes that doesn't know anything about what Joseph had done. And this new Pharaoh who arises, he redefines good and evil in his own eyes. Do good things ever happen when humanity does that? Humanity gets into real trouble, real trouble really quick when we start to do what's right in our own eyes. All right, well, Pharaoh, he so redefines good and evil that now what he's doing, he is cursing those who God promised to bless. Instead of using his position of power to join God in his work and bless others, Pharaoh engages in state-sanctioned inequality and oppression. Listen to this. Things get so depraved that Pharaoh orders Hebrew midwives, those whose purpose it is to bring new life into the world, he orders them to kill any infant who's a boy. But rather than participate in this corrupt system, rather than participate in the violence, they choose the path of civil disobedience. Pause. Again, no, it wasn't for you to pause the tape. <laughs> Sam just <laughs> Sam looks up like, oh no. <laughs> the pause. What I meant by that is pause as in, are you kidding me? Again, this was nine months ago, roughly, that we put this on the calendar. God knew this was coming up. Wow. Get ready 
for a whole lot of coincidences in the weeks to come between what we're going through and what the Bible says. There is a timeless nature to the Bible in terms of civil disobedience. Is there a place for civil disobedience? Absolutely. We see example here. And, and, God puts guardrails around civil disobedience. We're planning a series on politics um, in August. And one of the things we'd like to do is to devote an entire week of, of teaching to diving into what does the Bible say about civil disobedience and where are these boundaries that are put in place and when do we disobey those in authority, when do we not? And then how do we do both, obeying and not obeying in God-honoring ways? All right. Well, these brave women, they determined they could not participate in state in the state-sanctioned death of infants. And God honored their actions. Look at this, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. So God dealt well with those midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh commanded all his people, listen to this, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall what? You shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live. Pharaoh, what does he do? He doubles down on his depravity. And watch this, his decree foreshadows his own demise. Spoiler alert, Pharaoh commands that male infants are to be thrown into the Nile, but it won't be Hebrew babies whose blood turns the Nile red. Pharaoh intends for children of Israel to drown, but it is his own army that's going to be washed away by the Red Sea. And the irony doesn't stop there. A baby boy named Moses is brought to the edge of the Nile, but he is placed in a basket. And in another nod to Genesis, that same Hebrew word that was used for Noah's Ark in Genesis is used for that baby's basket in Exodus. That little basket boat. God is at work, even in this mess. The absolute disruption of all that Pharaoh intended for evil continues. Pharaoh's own daughter, listen to this. Pharaoh's own daughter finds the baby. She adopts the baby. Again, this is a Hebrew baby who Pharaoh said, you got to kill this kid. And she ends up paying Moses' own mother with money from Pharaoh's own treasury to nurse the baby that Pharaoh commanded her to kill. Pharaoh's decision to curse those who God intended to bless ultimately resulted in Pharaoh learning the language and the ways of the Egyptians and even being trained in Pharaoh's schools. Pharaoh's decree for the Hebrews to kill their sons resulted in the equipping of the one who God would use to lead the slaves out of Egypt and to do it under the rule of this Pharaoh's son. And not only that, that same decree from this Pharaoh would directly lead to the death of his grandson. When Moses became a man, when Moses became a man, he engaged in civil disobedience too. But this scene may not have played out like it did in the movies. Listen to this. I'd never heard this before I started digging into this passage. Here's the passage. Exodus says this. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. And he looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, seeing no one. He struck down the Egyptian, and he hit him in the sand. Now, a couple of the sources that I looked at, they said, 
the scene that you see playing out in the movies, it probably didn't happen like that if you look at the actual language. In the movies, we usually see some taskmaster, he's got the whip, and the Hebrew is not able to do his or her job, and so the taskmaster is going to whip them. Well, that's in the movies. In the original Hebrew, at least in the straightforward reading, there's no mention of a taskmaster-slave relationship. It simply says that there's an Egyptian citizen and he's beating a Hebrew. One person thought it's okay for me to beat this other person just because I can. That's what at least some of the sources said. Some of the sources I looked at also said this. They said that the Hebrew phrase translated looking this way and looking that way, that it, it, it isn't like when we say looking this way and this, that way, like making sure no one's watching me so I don't get in trouble. They said it's really not like that. It's more like him saying, here's this guy getting beaten by this other guy. This should not be happening. And he's looking and saying, hey, is someone going to do something about this? But no one was. He saw no one. He saw no one intervening. So Moses acts. And in Acts 7.25, we're told that Moses thought his people would think that God was using Moses to rescue them. But here's what happened. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And Moses said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. And he thought, surely this thing is known. If you've read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, you know this isn't the last time that Moses heard those words. Who are you to be prince over us? Who appointed you over us? Well, Moses' fears about the word getting out there well-founded, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. That's in chapter 2, verse 15. Even in the midst even in the midst of all this violence and death, God was still at work. It was at that very well that Moses met his future wife. It was in the land of Midian that Moses was humbled. It was in the land of Midian where Moses learned to care for lambs that had lost their way. It was in the land of Midian where Moses met God in the burning bush. Can God work all things for good, even things as messed up as this Yes. Let's go back to our text. And we're going to jump ahead, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Moses was about to be called back to Egypt by God to confront this new Pharaoh and to lead the children of Israel out of slavery. Next week, Pastor Jason, he's going to take a closer look at that call on Moses' life. And we're going to look into, we're going to see what happened when Moses got that call and he was asked to do the impossible. (laughs) It is so relevant for today. And before we bring today's teaching to a close, I want you to write this down. Exodus is as relevant as ever. There aren't a lot of books that can support the weight of these challenging times.
We're in the midst of a global pandemic and the gods of this age are being exposed for what they really are. More and more Americans right now are confronting racial inequality more than I've ever seen in my lifetime. We're experiencing chaos right now that is resulting in death and destruction. Exodus speaks to all that. People are wanting to talk about going back to normal, even though normal wasn't as good as we remember it. Exodus speaks to that. We're entering into a wilderness that feels so unfamiliar to so many people, and so many people are wondering, are we going to get through this? Exodus speaks to that. Going forward, churches are going to need to reorganize around tens and fifties and hundreds and thousands. Exodus speaks to that. So many of us have so many questions. So many of us feel so inadequate. We could use a more solid foundation. We could use a source of wisdom and guidance. Exodus speaks to that. And Exodus foreshadows a day when God will be with his people in an unexpected way. If you're taking notes, you might want to include this. Exodus points to the coming of Christ. Exodus doesn't just echo Genesis. Exodus points to Jesus. Can I get an amen from our huge crowd in attendance today? Brooke, in the Gospel of John, we read that Christ tabernacled among us. In him we see the glory of God himself. The parallels between Jesus and Moses are many. Powerful kings ordered baby boys to be killed at the time of their births. The baby Moses had a basket, baby Jesus had a manger. Moses instituted the Passover, Jesus became the Passover lamb. Moses brought the law down from Mount Sinai, Jesus helped people better understand it on his Sermon on the Mount. Moses told the people about manna and Jesus fed 5,000 people. Moses followed the cloud. Jesus ascended into one. Moses died and God buried him where no one could find him. When Jesus died, God raised him from the dead and appeared, and he appeared to his disciples. There are so many similarities, and through them, Jesus is presented as even greater than Moses. And so, my friends, don't miss this deliverance moment. God is calling us to enter into a covenant with Christ today, either for the first time or for the first time again. Here's the covenant. If you receive Christ, sincerely receive him as your Savior, as your Lord, he'll forgive your sins. His Holy Spirit will fill you. And in this world that is filled with so much anxiety, with so much crazy, he can fill you with a peace that passes all understanding. And he can help you find clarity. If that's a covenant that you'd like to enter into for the first time today, or a covenant you'd like to renew, then we invite you to join us at the Lord's table this morning. Now there is so much that the Bible does not say about this sacrament, about Holy Communion, about the Eucharist, about the Lord's Supper. It doesn't prescribe a specific age. It doesn't prescribe a specific method. It doesn't prescribe a specific type of bread or a specific type of 
wine or juice. But here's something the Bible does say. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. Whoever eats this bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. With a show of hands. All, both of you now, with a show of hands. How many would say this world would be a better place if more people would examine themselves? All right, every hand here outside is raised. If you'd like to pray these prayers that we're about to pray with sincerity, then we would invite you to participate in this sacrament with us. If you'd like at least a little guidance for those of you who are doing this at home, here's a simple way that you can administer the sacrament. You can take the bread, take the, the, the juice and the wine, select someone to break off that piece of bread and to say, this is the body of Christ given for you. And then you can take that piece of bread and as it's being dipped in the wine or dipped in the juice, have somebody say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And again, as you do this, don't worry about getting perfect methods right because there is no perfect methods. But what is important is the sincerity. Make this real. And remember what it is that we're commemorating right now. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And he gave thanks and, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then again, after supper, he took the cup. And he, after he'd given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're going to pray. And it was really interesting this week, um, one of my neighbors was going by and, and she doesn't attend our church, but she's been watching online. And she just was really thankful for these prayers that we've been teaching, these prayers that we teach when it comes to um, offering ourselves and our gifts, and then these prayers here to prepare us. There's something powerful about these words and there's something powerful about us uniting our voices from all over. So we invite you to do that now, to pray these prayers with me as, as I pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. Father, I want to pray for everyone, including myself, that before we participate in this holy sacrament, this holy time, that we truly would examine ourselves. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would shed light into those deep recesses of our minds and our souls. Help us to let go of the things that, that we feel so strongly about. And we pray, Father, that you will reveal truth for what it is. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. As people who are in need of forgiveness and as people who are deeply loved 
Father, we thank you also for this prayer that we're about to pray together here, this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. And thanks for reminding me this week that there is not a part of this prayer that we should leave out. In fact, before we pray this prayer, I want to say that to you. This prayer, don't leave any piece of it out. When you do, it changes the prayer completely. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And before I say amen, Father, thank you for giving us that prayer. Thank you. Amen.